If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, today we are going to be speaking with Shanice Miller about eliminating your nonprofit's structural inefficiencies and those pain points that just nag at you and make your job and your leadership work less fulfilling. Shanice is a serial entrepreneur and general go-getter, and you find this out very quickly when you Google her. Her journey to optimize efficiencies and resources started young, actually in high school. But I want her to share that story because it's her story and it's an incredible one. She founded an educational consultancy helping people apply for scholarships and financial aid. Through that role, she was featured by Forbes, BET, and others before selling the business. Today, Shanice is the founder of Taskly Group, which helps nonprofit and for-profit organizations achieve greater efficiency to save money, save time, save careers, and while it's too late for me, save hairlines. Shanice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dolph. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you today. You're just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to nonprofit executive coaching and strategic planning. So I am so excited to be here. Well, well thank you. And, and I will share with you that I was really struck when I was doing some research for this episode that you are an optimizing fiend at a very young age. And so it's probably in your DNA. Tell us about what you did in high school to really optimize and make your life really the, the good life that it's become. Yeah, so you're so right. I think it is in my DNA. And that's what other people around me say as well. I'm a very systematic person. So whenever I put my mind to something, then I'm always finding a system to do it. So when I was in high school, my mom told me that I needed to figure out how I was going to pay for college. And that sent me into a panic. How this is my senior year. I'm not thinking about paying for college, but she made that and she put that on to me to do and to figure out. And so I started coming up with ways that you could start 
applying and finding scholarships so that I would have the money necessary to be able to go to college for free. And that's what I did. I ended up graduating debt-free and actually received refund checks back from the colleges because I had so much money in scholarship funds afterwards. You have to be among the very few people in the country that have gotten refund checks back from their colleges. And that came from small local outside scholarships. Because <laughs> wow. they send the college the check and then it's looked at like, you know, you overpaid. Wow, that, that that's incredible. And so I also understand, because as I said in the intro, you're a serial entrepreneur. You used the information that you gained doing that for yourself to launch your first business. I did. And it was an educational consulting business, um, telling people exactly how they could find and apply for scholarships as well. And And I also understand that as often happens in life, things are sort of progressive. And so when you exited that business, you learned something really important about system optimization. I did. So running a business um, that has different systems than what you would think about with applying for scholarships. Um, You can go out, you can do that by yourself. You don't really need a big or intricate type of process. So when I actually was going through and starting my business, I didn't really think about systems in that way. I was just thinking, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work hard. And I found myself working hard and having my best month ever in my business and finding out I was so exhausted. I was so overwhelmed. And I was wondering how was I going to keep this up the next month and the month after that. And that just exhaustion, um, being overworked, feeling like it was just too much. I was doing everything by myself. That made me want to sell the business. And that's what I ended up doing was selling the business so that I could exit out of it and maybe try something else later on. And so this might be a little bit of the off-map question, although we're not at the point to get there. Did you do anything after selling the business but before jumping into another job or starting another business? Of course. I had to research. Um, I went back and I did a little bit of work doing my backgrounds in project management. So I did some project management work and tried to, you know, tried other things as well. But I definitely saw that systems was my strong point. And after selling the business, realizing that I got a lowball offer, wondering why I got that lowball offer, um, researching other businesses that were getting really good offers, I saw that those businesses had systems in place that made it just easy for another owner to take over that business that I didn't have in place. And it's so interesting because I think, you know, most nonprofits start off a lot like small businesses where they don't have systems in place. They don't have like, okay, we're going to do A and then B and then C, or we're going to automate this task. While nonprofits don't really get sold the same way small businesses do, it does impact the value those nonprofits can provide to their constituents, to their funders, um, and to their community. That's so correct. That is so right. And I mean, when we all get into business, we're not thinking of the end in mind. Um, we're always thinking short term, I need to get people who are going to, you know, donors, I need to get clients, um, whatever it is that you're needing to get that moment. And you're just trying to do whatever it takes to get to that. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those pain points that are the result of structural inefficiencies that you often see in nonprofits? So I will say the biggest thing that I hear some nonprofits say that I work with is that you're going to pick it up as you go or it's all in your head. And to me, that means that my processes, my systems, they're not written down. They're not flushed out. I don't have systems in place. So that's really a really, really huge one to just not have systems, to not have anything really fleshed out, really written on paper. 
I actually worked with one nonprofit and they wanted their volunteers to help with creating a cookbook to gift to donors as a fundraising effort. And they said the software to add the graphics and the text, it was very simple to use and you would just have to copy and paste for the most part. So it seems pretty simple and straightforward, but when you don't have a system, then you miss critical and crucial steps that make you end up doing more work in the long haul. So they provided the volunteers with Excel spreadsheets, they had the recipes, the ingredients, the templates for the graphics and the software. And even though this was a simple task, the processes weren't written down. So those steps were forgotten, like making sure that our format was correct, that we were all using the same fonts and the same colors so that the cookbook would be simple to put together all in one instead of someone having to go back in and review everything. Um, the other thing that was really missed was the process for telling the person who's going to compile everything together that we're finished with uploading the recipes into the template. So the person who was assigned to that task, they're going around asking everyone, we've already you know, submitted those recipes and they're like having to go back in, hey, did you do this? Did you not do this? <laughs> so it was a really interesting um, type of thing where I realized that you're spending more time, more energy, just asking around instead of having those systems in place, having that process where someone can reach out and tell you this is exactly what you would do afterwards. So it's all those steps put into one so that everyone's on the same page, no one's confused, no one's frustrated. And you can easily overcome this system pain point by doing a process that I call process mapping. So let's talk about process mapping. What is it? So Process mapping is actually something that we cover more in depth in my three steps to automate and scale your profit nonprofit mini training. I'll tell you exactly how you can get that layer on, but it's really when you list out all of the steps in the task from start to completion, and you're ensuring that steps aren't missed and that your time is used most efficiently. And so this, when you're finished the process mapping system, you can save this as a checklist, you can upload it into a software and make sure that none of the steps are missed. Got it. And so I'll share with you, I'm a huge fan of checklists. Oh my gosh. And I often use them in my everyday life, but I also use them in onboarding. So a new person starts and I've kind of got a checklist. And I'm like, all right, when you do this, you're, there are eight things you're going to do. And we're going to go yes. through the checklist. And this is your checklist now. You can use this checklist and you'll know you've done all eight. In that way that you know everyone had the same experience from you. Everyone, You didn't forget anything. You didn't have any errors. You're not asking someone at the last minute, oh, yeah, can you send me this as well? You have everything all together in one place and you are ready to go. And if you're not there, someone else, your assistant can step in and ask for those same things as well. Yeah. And, and I'll share with you, it's funny, I do a lot of interim executive director work. And oftentimes I will find myself in a place as an interim executive director or some things I pay a lot of attention to. And so, for example, payment requests, I pay a lot of attention to because a lot of nonprofits are not are not um, really doing their due diligence on on their internal payment request systems. Especially in my first couple months, I will often find myself sending back payment requests to supervisors going, okay, this is not quite right. You need to do X, you need to do Y, you need to do Z. And one of the things that I learned is, okay, what I should probably do is pretty early on provide a training, but then also give people a checklist. And essentially, and essentially it's like, these are the eight top reasons why I send a payment request back. So please look at this checklist and make sure all eight are met. So that way you'll save yourself time and you'll save me time. Yes, and that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what I help people with because like you said, those checklists are so essential so the person who's doing that job doesn't miss anything. And you're getting all the information that you need um, to do your job the best to your ability to make that big impact. 
Same with when we upload it into a system or a software or platform, we're doing that same thing. We're kind of like writing down the checklist, making sure people are checking off those things and doing more automations with that. Mm -hmm. So one of, one of the other things that I've started to do, and I wonder if you've worked with any of your clients around this is, especially around onboarding, in this day and age where, you know, some people might start a job and leave in a year or 18 months, I'll often show someone how to do something but make a screen recording at the same time. And then if someone else starts in 18 months, assuming the process has not changed, and sometimes it has, I'll say, first watch the screen recording. And then let me know what questions you've got. And, so, and suddenly, like, you know, A, they don't have to schedule that schedule around me. And B, I don't have to be present for them to actually start. That's exactly a big topic I talk to nonprofits about is doing that exact thing, making a video or even, you know, a quick training tutorial. The videos don't have to be long. They can be five minutes. They can be three minutes. But you're just walking someone, showing someone the process that you're doing every day so that same person can follow it. And like you said, it does. It cuts down on so much time. Some um, clients, it saves them 20 hours per week just so you're not having to train people on the same things that you're doing before. People are all the way up to speed. And we always go a step further too. We put in, add in templates. So we will do email templates and we will do certain things that it's kind of like a fill in the blank so that no one has to recreate the wheel again. We already know what kind of information we want to put in emails and mailings and things like that. So let's just make it easier on everyone and just let it be a template. Let it already be there for that person to just pick up and add in the information needed. I love email templates and, you know, Gmail's got them and Outlook's got them. The other one that I use a lot is if it was a template, just because it's so darn easy, is um, I also use signatures. And so I probably have like 15 different signatures in my Outlook. And, and it's everything. And, and often it's just stuff that I often get requested for. And I kind of have a, an almost pat answer. And so I'll actually put the person's first name in, you know, like, you know, hey, Dolph, and then, you know, but whatever. But then more or less just that that one signature. An example I'll use is we get flooded. I mean, truly flooded with requests, unsolicited requests for people to post, uh, to offer a guest post on our blog, and unsolicited requests from PR agents to get someone to be a guest on the podcast. And we've had very bad experiences with um, PR agents who get people to be guests on our podcast. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you're giving me a surprise look. Oh yeah, like, I mean, like, like, like PR agents, it's been our experience. Many of them will say almost anything to get a, to get their client on our podcast. Oh. And yeah, oh yeah. And then we end up recording a, a, a session that we had not thought we were gonna record and we actually ended up not running it. And so after, do, after that happened several times, and let me say, we've had other issues with PR agents like that. But so after that happened several times, we just put together like a like a, a signature that says, you know, we do not accept unsolicited PR agents approaching us about guests. If the person wants to approach us individually, that's fine and we'll work with them. But otherwise we're not we're not gonna do it. But it's much nicer. It's like a three, four paragraph. It explains why, it gives them more information. But then I don't have to recreate that every time. I literally I just clicked reply, signature, drop it in, you know, put a hey Dolph up at the top and send it. Yes, and you have the system that works for you since you've, you've seen that this is something that's like a pain point or this is something that's not working. And so you set up a system so that you can have something that does work and how you can eliminate things that aren't working. And now you're freeing up your time. Yeah. So that's awesome. And so are there other things? So now, you know, help me. Are there other things that I could be automating like that? Like what are some big automation opportunities? Oh, that's such a good question. Um I don't know if you have employees or other people that you work with, but we do a lot of automating like 
assigning tasks to people. So a lot of times, and we have recurrent tasks as well that we automate. So if we know that something's coming up every like 30 days, 90 days, like maybe you have to do an outreach to a donor, then we will automate that task, assign it to someone in a due date. And so that we can see like, okay, there is a automatic due date of every 30 days or every 60 days, every 90 days that we want to talk to someone. And that person can select if it's complete or not. And if it's not complete, then it goes into this overdue um, dashboard. Mm -hmm. And you can see like, okay, these are the people who haven't been, you know, we didn't reach out to them. We need to follow up with them. We need to work on donor retention, you know, and you can easily see that just at the touch of a button, instead of having to ask around the employee, like, hey, did you do this? Which ones did you do? I know some people use an Excel spreadsheet, but this is something that's just right up and clear in your face. And then you can assign that task to somebody else as well if, you know, just to get it done, because you know that's an important task that needs to get done. Uh, you can also automate the due dates. You can automate um, form submissions. So a lot of times I'll see with nonprofits, they'll want people to fill out certain um, information. So if someone fills out that information in a form, you can that can be a form that's duplicated or templated um, so that each person, like say if you have a new donor, you can ask them to go to a certain website, fill out this form, and then that goes directly into the task and the automation. Very cool. I, I do know, um, and I've done some of this also with Outlook, but I do know in Outlook, there's ways to do automations like that too, where, you know, where, for example, if a form is filled out, your Outlook, like a Microsoft form or a Google form is filled out, your Outlook will just automatically from you send an email that's like, hey, thank you for submitting this form and da 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 and, and, and it looks really personal when it comes through. Yes. It can do that as well when we automate the task, but then it takes it a step further than that because I, I noticed just like with email platforms and sometimes some of the non-project management platforms, it'll just say, okay, you know, we'll send out this email as the autoresponder. That's what's called an automatic email. But if you're using like a project management software or tool with the automation included in there, then it can split that uh, form into different tasks and it can assign it to different people based on who you want that to go to. Wow. So if there's one person who's doing outreach and there's another person who's doing like uh, maybe the HR work, it can go to two different people and then it will tell them like, OK, go ahead and add this to our data, our database and you go ahead and make this phone call. Very cool. What what project managing platforms would you recommend that do that type of thing? So I like using ClickUp. Um, to me, ClickUp's all in one. You can incorporate emails. You can incorporate chat box and things like that. Um, there are so many different ones out here. So it really just depends on the person, what you're already using. A lot of times I try to just find a workaround and try to make sure that we're incorporating everything. You can also use Zapier to incorpor incorporate a lot of different, um, tools together. If you are using a different project management tool, that's not quite all in one. Very cool. Okay. And, and I'm familiar with Zapier, but can you make sure our listeners know about Zapier? Oh, yeah. So Zapier is just a tool. It's for automation. So say if you have like a calendar link and a website, it can connect those two together and also connect that with, um, say, like maybe a payment platform or it can set up a schedule, your scheduler. Right. So it's kind of like an if this, then that app. So like if this happens, then Zapier will make this other thing happen. Definitely. And that's exactly what ClickUp does as well. If this, then that too, with a lot of our automations. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the other low-hanging fruits for nonprofits that you're seeing? So obviously around HR, around onboarding, um, what are some of the other low-hanging fruits that nonprofits could really see a big benefit with a relatively small investment of time or money? 
I would say probably the biggest because nonprofits are run and they're based off of fundraising efforts, uh, donors. So really, that's why I have the biggest thing that I usually work with is that donor outreach system. So that's the biggest non, you know, low hanging fruit, especially a lot of times we will recreate the wheel. We try to get new donors instead of nurturing the ones that we already have. And I know you mentioned automating, okay, we need to reach out to the donor every three months. Are there other other things that you should be looking to get out of your automation system? Let's see. That's a good question. Um, you can reach out every three months. You can also send like a handwritten letter or so every, you know, so many times. So it really, everything depends on how your systems are set up and what you, your goals are and what you want to do. So we just work around what you already have in place. And sometimes we do add some suggestions as well. Like um, a big suggestion is having that feedback system put into there where you can ask your donors, like, how are we doing? You know, what would you like to see more of so that you can give people exactly what they want? And we incorporate that into the system and into the outreach system. And how do you recommend asking that? Is it an open-ended question? Is it multiple choice? How do you recommend structuring that question? I like asking the open-ended question until you get a certain amount of data. And then you can kind of narrow it down a little bit. You start to see trends and see like, what are things that people are asking the most? Um, and then maybe you can add, do the multiple choice if you're really trying to narrow that down a little bit more. And so if you're recommending the open-ended question, are you also recommending that AI do like the first review and do summaries for you? Or would you think a human being l puts their eye on every answer? So I would say that to me, feedback is very important. Mm -hmm. So for my business, I still like to look at all the answers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can populate, like I said, if you do a multiple choice, then you can get that, like, you can, at a glance, you can see, like, what's most important. But a lot of times I like to have people elaborate on that because I just want to know how I can serve people better. Got it. Um, and, and I completely understand. I'm just curious, like, what, which way you think. So you actually think that if you're doing that type of a survey through your CRM, that someone in your development office needs to be reviewing every survey and responding in some way. I, I like that because yeah. I still like the personal touch. Nice. Nice. So talk to me a little bit about your three steps to automate project. Oh, yeah. So the three steps to automate, that is where we're really showing you how to break down these steps. For a lot of people, systems can be overwhelming. So we're trying to do things in a way that's as easy as possible. And so we do that by first breaking your whole business down into departments. And a lot of times businesses will have like their client delivery. So what are you delivering to the client? Um, maybe if that is that cookbook, like I uh, mentioned earlier with that nonprofit, they just want to give a gift or, you know, I don't know if you're donating or if you're helping other people, but there's usually a client, uh, client services, client delivery. We usually have like a sales sales department and a marketing department. And so those are kind of like those foundational departments you'll see in every business or nonprofit. So that's the first step, break everything down into departments. Yes. Okay. And that's so that we can see exactly what needs the most help at this time with system-wise. Um, so then when we are asking about your goals, we're asking about what kind of systems we should implement, where are you having the most problems, we'll target that, depart that department individually. Okay. Um, so then after we discover which department we want to focus on first, because I like to take things into little bites. When you were looking at the whole thing, it can be pretty overwhelming. Um, but those small bites really help us to focus and to get things done. So then when we have that department in mind, then we start thinking about, okay, what are our daily tasks that are needed in the department? 
Um, so we're starting to map out, okay, this is our, these are big milestone tasks. So that's the second one. And then the third one is when we're starting to really map out the steps in that task, like your checklist. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we upload everything into our project management system and add the automations. Okay. So so I, I know we've talked about some automations that are essentially like autoresponders and forwards. Are there any other types of automations that our organization should be looking at? So another big automation that we set up are marking things like moving things through the process. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people get stuck in a process and that can be an automation to have someone to review it, have someone else on the team to help this person out instead of that person sitting around being stuck or, you know, not working on anything at all because they're trying to figure it out on their own. So there's an automation for that. Um, there's also an automation to say when someone's completed it and to what we need to do to hand it over to the next person in the process. So those are kind of like, they're just really big automations around that. Okay, good to know. Shanice, thank you so much. And let's go ahead and transition over to the off the map question. And unfortunately, I think the off the map question I've got for you is probably not that far off the map. What productivity book would you recommend to us? So since I am a systems person, I like the book called Traction. I, I'm always forgetting who the author is, so please <laughs> forgive me, but... There is a book called Traction, and it really just talks about how you are thinking about your business, planning out meetings in your day so that we can make the most of our time. Got it. And, um, and how has Traction changed the work you do? It really made me focus on what are the most important goals for people. So when you're reading and you go through the book, you see like they have a big section on like, what's your vision? What is your purpose? What are your goals for the next few years? And then they have you work backwards from that. And a lot of times what I'll see with, you know, my business and when we're working with other people, we have so many great ideas of things we want to try. But that book really hones in and it gives you a process for where do you put those ideas? Um, how do you organize them to say like, what's most important first, what's not important? And to make sure that you're Stay keeping your eye on what moves the needle versus just every shiny object. Yeah. So I need to read that book. I'm guilty of that. I have five great ideas for every one idea I actually bring into the world. So um, I hear you. I hear you. I think that's also the danger. And again, the nonprofit sector has a lot of serial entrepreneurs. I think that's the danger of being very entrepreneurial as well. As you're always like, oh my gosh, it's such a great idea. And you know, you'll spend your weekend thinking about it. And then on Monday, you're like, okay, now I need to get back to making this other idea actually see the light of day one time. Yes. And that book tells you like, have this place to put your ideas and you can revisit them monthly to see like, is this something that should be at the top of the list or not? I love that. That's awesome. Yes. Um, well, Shanice, thank you so much for coming on. And I always want to make sure that our friends who are listening know how to reach you. And so uh, friends, there's a few URLs I want to make sure you're aware of. The first is tasklygroup.com forward slash successful nonprofits. If you go to that link, you can access the three steps to automate your nonprofit. You also can click from that link to the tasklygroup.com and there you can get free trainings that will walk you through step-by-step step how to do some of the things that we have talked about today. Additionally, obviously there's a contact us now at tasklygroup.com. You can also go to LinkedIn and find Shanice and catch up with her there as well. Shanice, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much, Dolph, for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation.
All right, listeners, don't forget, if you need to get a hold of Shanice and you do not remember, tasklygroup.com forward slash successful nonprofits, or you don't look her up on LinkedIn, you can always go to our show notes at successfulnonprofits.com. We will have all of those links there. We will also link to the book, Traction. And if you found this episode useful, if it helped you think about ways that your organization could operate more efficiently so you would have less pain in your day-to-day work life, then there's two others you should really listen to. One is episode 180, Creating a Strong Back Office with Sean Hale. We talked some about automation in that episode as well. And then the second is episode 209, Insider Tips from an Executive Assistant with Jeremy Burroughs. You know, I think almost every nonprofit executive dreams the day they will have an executive assistant. And then it happens, and they're like, oh, wait, I really don't know everything an executive assistant could do for me to help me be more efficient and better. And so this episode will help you with that. Final ask, please, if you listen to the podcast and you like it, rate it and review it on your streaming app of choice. If you listen to the podcast and don't like it, don't rate it or review it. I'd really appreciate that too. That, friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And I always pause a few seconds and then say what the lawyers make me say. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group, wait for it, wait for it, provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. This podcast and every episode of it, including this one, is for informational purposes only. And yeah, that means you should not rely on it for legal, tax, and accounting advice. If you need that type of counsel, please find a licensed, qualified professional. Contact them and get the counsel that you need. If you're not sure what type of a professional you might need, you can reach out to me. I'll help you think through that. And if you know you need a very specific professional but can't find one that can work directly with your organization, you could also reach out to me. And if I know someone in your area, I am happy to make the connection.